0: Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming back so promptly. I'm Dave Schimmel, the missing, the missing co-organizer, and it's my pleasure to introduce Ralph Dubaya, who I've known since the last, the late Cretaceous, yes. <laughs> um, when he was a student and I was a postdoc. So dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> back in Kansas. Then. No in West. Kansas, in that's Kansas, right. No and Ralph is uh, is at the University of Maryland and has been a proponent for uh well a geological epoch <laughs> of measuring global vegetation dynamics from space using laser using laser techniques and uh so I'll let Ralph take it away. Michelle, what do I do with this? Just turn it off and then hold on to it for the next speaker. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you uh, for inviting me and thank you all for being here. I'm very impressed with all the young people in the audience, all these smart minds, so it's fantastic. So um, we've heard today already about uh, the carbon cycle uh, through a great talk by Leslie and then how some of these data are used in modeling through another great talk. So I'll try to follow that talking about, uh, in particular, how we do remote sensing of ecosystem structure and dynamics. And in particular, talk about the JEDI LiDAR mission, which is the Global Ecosystem Dynamics Investigation. So there's uh, the importance of ecosystem structure is, is large. It's a key element of the Earth's system, and it's important for carbon and nutrient cycling, for habitat quality, for looking at forest health and productivity. Uh, it's clearly used in fire modeling, for hydrological cy- cycling in many ways, and in certainly for policy needs going forward. And the important thing about ecosystem structure is that it's dynamic, and I think you've already learned that today as well. It result, results from multiple processes that organize and reorganize themselves over space. And disturbance is a key process, both natural and anthropogenic. And so we we have this development of structure that spans many temporal and spatial scales. And so really, structure is one of these three important unifying concepts. You have structure, composition, and function. And part of what we're trying to do at this workshop is how can we get at at each of these. Structure is particularly difficult to quantify, as, as Dave said, and been, we've been chasing that for decades. Um, now, uh, we also heard about the role of remote sensing with Ryan earlier. He talked about, well, we haven't really gotten that far with our 40 years of remote sensing. Um, it hasn't provided the needed 3D structure of forests. It's been dominated by passive optical sensors, which have been great for getting us land cover, some aspects of phenology and disturbance, but what I call heroic efforts have fallen short. And this is primarily because of basic physical limitations of optical re- of passive optical remote sensing. The good news is that we're entering this fantastic new era of active remote sensing, which is going to be dominated by radar and LIDAR approaches, missions such as JEDI, the ICESat-2 mission, the already in orbit star, uh, interferometric SAR mission, Tandem X, as well as NASA's own NISAR mission and the ESA P-Band Biomass mission. So we're entering this great new era that you as young people will all be able to take advantage of. So what I'll do today is not talk just about JEDI, but first give you a brief overview of ecosystem structure and why it's important, and then I'll talk about the specifics of the mission. So what is ecosystem structure? Well, there is a whole slew of ecological definitions. Here's one, a set of functional elements of ecosystems that contain the spatial location of each component, biotic and abiotic, and the relationships between them. Is that a good definition? It's as good as any definition. Our focus in all of this is really to quantify the spatial and the vertical structure of forest canopy elements and the variables that get derived from these elements, whether it's leaf area index or it's foliar profiles or it's biomass. Now one way we can conceive of this in terms of the role of canopy structure is through a, a cartoon such as this. On one side we have the vertical and spatial structure, then we have ecosystem function, and we have composition and flor- floristics, so three legs of a stool, so to speak. And together these three things might be what you would call, let's say, habitat or something and it might help determine biogeochemical status. But what happens through time is that all of these change through time, they lead to habitat heterogeneity naturally as well as we have human impacts and climate impacts that, both af- that affect all three of these. And so and these in turn feed back into habitat heterogeneity. And in the end, what we're interested though is relating all of this to habitat quality and biodiversity, to carbon cycling, biogeochemical fluxes, as well as other ecosystem services that we may be interested in. And those are, those are many indeed. Some of the desired structures we want to try to measure, if you were to ask an ecologist, in terms of ecosystem structure are shown here. Everything from gap structure to canopy cover to canopy height, uh, the height size distribution, biomass, stem density, LAI, foliar profile, serial stage, that is what, what stage is it in its, in its, uh, in its, in its age, canopy laying, all of these things are, 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 are parameters that we would like to be able to measure about ecosystem structure. And people have wanted these for decades, 50, 60, 70 years. If we look at some old diagrams that show what people were were recording decades ago, here is a new forest that's just starting out. It's in in an accumulation or exclusion stage where all the heights are about the same. it's excluding, it's it's competing out any any of the smaller vegetation. And then that structure changes through time. We now have a more mature state where we start to have canopy gaps. We have a more developed understory and then you'll continue to mature, and you get a lot of vertical diversity that occurs. And then eventually you may get to something called old growth, which has a lot of, a lot of large gaps, a lot of big stems, and the like. And so you can see this structure is really dynamic, and all those parameters I just showed in that other table, they all vary depending on what stage, what stage the forest is in, and there's many different factors that affect that structure as well. And so what we'd like to do is we have this cycle of disturbance and regrowth. We have gradients in soils, gradients in moisture, gradients in disturbance. All this leads to an evolution of structure. And the best way to get at that structure from space is through active remote sensing. Hence, enter JEDI, LIDAR. We'll have the drum roll. Um, The global ecosystem, thank you very much. The uh, global ecosystem dynamics investigation. So JEDI, as an Earth Ventures instrument, It's a partnership between NASA and the University of Maryland. It was selected along with EcoStress. Yay for EcoStress in August 2014. For $94 million, it's a Class C mission. These are what are called Principal Investigator Mode missions. They're not directed by NASA. The institution of the Principal Investigator runs the entire mission. What JEDI is, is a multi-beam waveform lidar instrument and Goddard is building that instrument and we will be deployed on the International Space Station in 2018. Hopefully not too much behind uh, ecostress and OCO3. So in terms of the missions, we have three major questions that we're trying to answer in this mission. And these are related to what we've been talking about earlier today. The first is, what is the the carbon balance of the Earth's forest? To answer that question, we're going to quantify forest biomass, what's really there today, the carbon that's really in the forests as we speak, as well as we'd like to be able to answer something about the net balance between disturbance and recovery that's taken place in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, The second question is how will the land surface mitigate atmospheric CO2 in the future? This was raised by Leslie earlier today as well. To do that, we would like to apply some of these data into an ecosystem model to talk about carbon sequestration potential going into the future. And lastly, we haven't talked about this today yet, Um, structure is very important for habitat Quality, biodiversity, species richness, and distribution. And so we also want to be able to speak about how that structure affects habitat quality and biodiversity. We're going to answer that question by quantifying the vertical structure and its relationship to biodiversity. Uh, you've already seen this cartoon. This is now becoming iconic, maybe in a good way or in a bad way. I'm not sure. But you see this diagram everywhere now. The, since Leslie already I- I explained this diagram, we're going to JEDI is focused on this piece here, which is quantifying how much biomass is there uh, in terms of the land sink, and also taking a guess at how much we've lost in terms of disturbance in the net balance, and to answer these questions again that we've spoken about already today, which is what's the true magnitude of terrestrial sequestration emissions, how is the sequestration going to change through time, where are these terrestrial carbon sinks located? and to resolve key uncertainties about this we need to have information improved information on the current status of carbon stocks and what the impact of forest loss loss and regrowth has been through time and so that that is where we have why we have these two objectives here now in terms of modeling the future as an example the us forest service estimates that about 15% of us industrial emissions in the last century were absorbed by forests in the united states they attribute that mainly to land use change. At the turn of the last century, uh, we had a lot of agricultural field, agricultural lands. Those were abandoned, and those lands uh, were, were filled up with trees, essentially, and so we had a carbon sink that was going on on this abandoned agricultural land. And so the question becomes, well, what's going to happen in the future? Is the, are these forest lands, if they really were the sink, are they going to continue to be a sink? And so one way we can look at that, we'd be able to answer that question, is by modeling it. And so we can use an ecosystem model to try to do that. It'll provide a means for us addressing important policy questions about, and science questions, about the ability of the land surface to sequester carbon in the future. Here's an example from the carbon monitoring system that Josh mentioned before. This is running the ecosystem demography model, which is initialized with canopy heights over all of Maryland. And uh, this shows what the sequestration potential would be if you just let any place that could go a tree, grow a tree. So for example, there's a large sequestration potential, could suck a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere in this area here, which is the eastern shore because it's mainly agricultural lands. But we're not going to do that to to good agricultural lands. We're not going to do that to soccer fields. We're not going to plant trees everywhere. But by having a model that can be initialized with height data, we can ask these what if questions. And we, we should be able to do this globally between 50 degrees north and south with data that we get from JEDI. The question is whether we believe these models or not, and that's a different question, but assuming we believe the models, and this allows us to address these types of policy questions. Lastly, in terms of habitat structure and biodiversity, we know the gross controls on biodiversity are are mainly related to climate, but as we look at finer scales, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly clear that it's the vertical structure of forests that plays a key determinant in terms of species, in terms of habitat quality and species richness and abundance because animals, birds, other organisms occupy different niches uh, within the vertical forest. Within the forest, now we don't have good data globally on this vertical structure, and that is what the problem is. However, it's been known for, for many years now, this is an old diagram from MacArthur. These are foliar profiles, so this is height, And this is the amount of leaf material at any profile. Uh, MacArthur went and looked at all these leaf profiles and related them to to bird species diversity as well as to plant species diversity and was able to find relationships between these profiles and diversity. Now, what the JEDI mission will give us and what LiDAR can give us, LiDAR can give us these foliar profiles directly from space. And so we now have the ability to be able to get these profiles and relate them to biodiversity data over vast areas which we haven't been able to do. And so that gets us to the fourth objective of our mission, which is to look at, to look at this structure and how it's related to biodiversity. Okay, that's the introduction of this part. The background on it. In terms of the instrument, it's a laser altimeter, uh, lidar science for light detection and ranging, um, this is what the instrument looks like. It has three lasers, laser transmitters that fire laser beams towards the surface, and then a telescope collects it. The telescope is actually 0.8 meters. It's not an optical telescope, it's made out of beryllium, um, which is very hard to work with. But we have things such as star trackers and GPS, and we have the ability to rotate side to side so that we can get rid of gaps and things like that. Now, if you're not familiar with LiDAR measurements, Um, The sole Jedi observable is the LADAR waveform. This is the only thing that this instrument measures. The only thing it returns is a waveform. And so we drop, uh, uh, we we fire a a near-infrared laser beam towards the surface. By the time it gets to the surface, it's about 25 meters across. And what we get back is this waveform where the amplitude is a function of how many leaves and branches there are at any particular height. We also get a last Gaussian ping Off of the ground and so once we find the ground and we find the top of the waveform we can immediately see how tall the canopy is we can also accumulate energy take the integral of this waveform like this so you get a you you integrate this you'll get a cumulative return and we get these internal metrics that have become very popular Uh, this is called relative height 25 this is the height at which 25% of the energy is below that point this is the height of median energy 50 percent 75 and the like so we can create many many metrics like these from lidar and when you put them together along track you would see something like this e- each one of these colored bars is a waveform where it's darker green there's more canopy material where it's lighter green there's less canopy material so you'll see the top of the canopy sub canopy airspace you get the topography below it Now, we can derive all of these things from a LIDAR waveform. Some of these things we can derive directly. What I mean by directly is that it's either a measurement or there's a physical equation that takes the measurement and turns it into the thing you want. Things such as, for example, a uh, a canopy height, topography, um, leaf area index. But then there's other things that we're interested in, such as biomass or carbon content, which which have to be modeled by modeled what we mean is, these are generally statistical relationships, or they're empirical in some way. And so as an example, here's an example of a direct, a direct retrieval from a waveform. Um, this is looking at LAI, and what we've done in this case is we've put these towers, these movable towers, this is in La Selva, Costa Rica, and as a tower is built, all the leaf material is cut and measured. And we compare that to what a LIDAR sees, and that's shown over here on these plots as a function of height here. This is the canopy height and this is the LAI. The red lines are an airborne simulator called Elvis, and the black lines are what we saw from the destructive sampling. And this is, again, not empirical. This is using an equation directly from the waveform and you have the ability to derive that. Now, that's in contrast to biomass. The way we get biomass is by deriving empirical equations. And so, for example, we might start with one metric let's say it's rh25 that would show this relationship here so this is rh25 and this is biomass so biomass has some relationship to rh25 then we could look at another lidar metric rh50 it gives us this relationship here and then we could have another we could look at another metric uh, rh75 then we could look at just looking at canopy height might give us this and we can then put these all together in in in, uh, infinitely complicated models it depends how complicated you want to make the model um, to try to predict biomass from these metrics, and not just these four, but there's many other metrics we can derive from the waveform. So that's an example of an empirical or modeled approach to some of this. So JEDI is gonna provide about 15 billion land surface laser observations in one year. And the way it does that, it has three lasers, and those lasers get divided into seven beams. The cross-track spacing is 500 meters The entire swath is six and a half meters, and there's 60 meters between footprints. Each one of these are 25 meter spots, so it's not the scale. And so we have seven laser beams. Uh, Each of these two lasers are split into three beams each, and we have one full power laser. Then they're bounced back and forth optically dither to make 14 tracks. So we have three lasers, seven beams, and 14 ground tracks. Um, as Ryan said, we're on the International Space Station. We get up there with a SpaceX Dragon capsule or whoever wins the contract to get stuff up to the space station. And um, we're at the exposed facility, so we're this coffin-looking instrument right here, and that gets plugged in to an available spot um, on the exposed facility. And EcoStress, OCO-3, and Jedi have to fight for power and coolant and many other bad things because NASA messed up. Okay. So we're trying to work all that out. I shouldn't have said that. Should I? <laughs> You're on tape. I'm on tape. So here's our approach to the data products. We have Jedi waveforms. That's the only thing we get back. And then at the footprint level and at the gridded level, we have derived canopy height, height metrics and canopy profile metrics. Um, we grid them. We have these. We have these transects going across the planet. Sometimes we'll have four, five, six, seven, eight transects going through a 500-meter square. And that brings us to level three gridded products. We then take those and drive an empirical statistical model to get uh, what we call a level four data product, which is the present status of the above ground carbon in forests. We can also take those same metrics and drive a physically based ecosystem model, and that'll produce modeled above ground carbon. And we also relate these data to habitat models that, create, uh, that give us relationships to habitat and biodiversity. We take these same data and we look at the Landsat archive, the disturbance archive from 2000 to 2018 to associate a regrowth with every pixel that's been disturbed in the Landsat archive. And trading space for time, we make a guess at about how much carbon was lost. Lastly, we take the ecosystem demography model and we ask what if questions by running it under various climate and land use change scenarios in the future. And so these data are used to initialize the ecosystem model, which is then run in this fashion, here uh, to look at land use change and climate change models. Um, we also have an important collaboration with the German Space Agency, uh, looking at fusion of our data with Tandem X is a, is a is an InSAR. It has two. It ha, it's an interferometric SAR. It has two satellites that observe the same spot at the same time. And InSAR is fantastic. This is an, an X band. It re- retrieves some canopy. Uh, structure, and there's a very strong possibility that by fusing LiDAR data with this, you're going to be able to get wall-to-wall much better structure than you would otherwise. Um, Here's some examples of height derived from LiDAR, this is height derived from Tandem-X. So we're very excited about pushing that forward. So to summarize here, JEDI is going to provide really unprecedented measurements of forest height and structure at, at, at high spatial resolution. Um, we're entering this n- an exciting era, I wish I was 20 or 30 years younger again, of getting ecosystem structure from LiDAR and radar. We have this whole suite of missions that are coming up, JEDI, ISAT-2, SAR missions, such as a as NISAR mission, biomass, and, and everything else. Then, when you consider that fusion is the future, not just with these, but we have JEDI, we have EcoStress, and we have OCO3, maybe we will have a hyperspectral as well. It's gonna enable a much more complete picture of of what's happening in terms of ecosystems and their impacts on the carbon cycle and on habitat. So really it's going to, the combination of all this really will advance our understanding of ecosystems and their response to the complex and changing forces that we're gonna face in uh, in the upcoming decades. So the stage is set the only thing we're missing on this stage is hyperspectral. hopefully we'll get there. But between JEDI, LIDAR, and EcoStress, which we'll hear about next, and the Orbiting Carbon carbon Observatory, OCO3, we're making huge progress in terms, we'll be making huge progress in terms of our ability to characterize ecosystems. All right, I'll stop there. Thank you very much.